We thank you, Lord, for full attention. Thank you, God. We bless you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen and praise God. Amen, amen, amen. So in your books, amen, everybody got your angels to help you book? Praise God. If you don't have it, Chuck's got one for you. So you need to read along and, and pay attention or else you'll pick up your phone and start playing with it again. So so we don't want to go through that kindergarten stuff. Praise God. But your private angel, we're at the last two chapters of the book, and it's always good to pay attention and keep up and <clears throat> all of the things that need to be done. If you don't have a book, raise your hand. If you don't have it with you, Chuck, you got some extras? Who doesn't have a book? I'm looking at some people who don't have books. So can you give them to them, Chuck, so they can? Okay, that's good. Make sure everybody pays attention. Who else? Praise God. Anybody else need one? Miss Di, you need one? Okay, she's getting you one. Who else? Brother E, where's your book? Can you raise your hand and take them out of your pockets? Thank you. You hiding your hands for? <laughs> you say I'm not gonna do it. I'm hiding my hands. I'm not gonna do it. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. So this one is your private angel. And the author says that unless you're among the rich, amen, you probably don't have enough money to pay for all the services you need. So there are so many things that people need. There are going to be a lot of things that you're not capable of getting and having on your own. That's just a, a fact of life. The fact that sin has come into the world means that there is lack everywhere. And then you'll have places where there are pockets of abundance and then pockets of lack. Say, for instance, some people who have mastered the, the um, uh, um, I guess, the system, you could say, of how to make money, how to obtain money, and how to hold on to money, and how to spend it. You notice there are several steps to that. You have to learn how to earn it. Then you have to learn how to manage it. Get it in your possession. And then you learn how to hold on to it. And so it's the management part that most people fall down on. Because many people don't know how to manage the resources that God gives for them. For instance, you know, we can all say we don't have enough. Am I right? Because we all have a vision of more. We have a vision of accomplishing certain things, obtaining certain things. So, and you can't get them right now. So we can all say there's, we are lacking in something that is necessary to make a purchase for the future. But that does not mean that there is lack in every problem in your life. 
You got me? So say, for instance, if you, if you don't have it in the natural realm, if you don't have it visible to you, you may lack the visibility of it, but that does not mean there's lack involved in that situation. Because we have a covenant with God that says he's already given us all things that pertain to life and to godliness. So there must be a sense of the truth of that working in you for lack not to be experienced. So if you're not going to experience lack in your life, you have to have a sense of being fulfilled by God and having all things that you need, all things that you desire, all things that you require. That's got to be working in you somewhere. If that's not working in you, then you, then lack is working. So the way we fight lack is through the word of God and embracing the truth of what God says about your life and allowing yourself to live in that truth. So we don't live in lack. We live in contentment and fulfillment. We live in the land of the possession of all things. Well, why don't I have it? Because God is, you got to accept the fact that you have it already. See, in order to have it, you got to have it. So you got to have it on a spiritual level first because you are a spirit. You're not just a natural person here. So once you get that sense of having all things and sense of fulfillment, lack will stop driving your decisions, your wants, your behavior, and your money management. As long as lack is driving your money management, you will continue to have not enough. You will continue to have lack. Once contentment and fulfillment and that God has given you all things already begins to drive your life, that is a fullness, man. Then you will be able to live a life of discipline where your money is concerned. You won't be so hot to spend it the minute you get it. You know, because really what happens with people is that when when the enemy drives you with lack, it's like taking water from a thirsty people. They'll drink mud. What's it all about? (laughs) You got me. You you you've got to understand how faith works. In order to get into the disciplined life that God wants us to get into. Because as long as lack is driving you, you will seek to have contentment and fulfillment. And you'll get it from anything that's available that you can spend your money on. Somebody will tell you, oh, this is a real expensive designer, this, that, and that. Oh, got to have it. Huh? And you spend your money on it. Some of, some of us money we really don't have for things like that. Then you find out it's fake. Huh? Why? Because lack was driving you so much, you didn't come from a place of contentment and a place of understanding that God has given it to me already and I don't have to get excited by what's in front of my eyes. Amen? And so we have to be careful. When we talk about um, uh, the things of the spirit and the things of the natural, that we understand that the spirit comes first. And once the spirit is fulfilled, 
Once a spirit is content, then God will add things to your already content life, to your, your already fulfilled life. But you've got to, your faith has got to indicate that you're fulfilled on it already. It can't, you can't get excited about the next new electronic thing you see on the internet because man you'll go crazy with the stuff they send you you know uh you shop on one on one website one time and you notice every time you go online that thing pops up they got a new something to sell you because you know you you shopped on there one time well you know the electronic world and in the the world wide web works against the individual because what they do is they keep so much information on us that we are not aware that they have that they can start programming us to desire certain things that's why in this age you got to be ever more diligent to uh renew your mind in the word to stay steeped in god's word to only know what god has told you and to believe only what god has said and and build a, a fortress around that. Amen. Build a wall around your faith in God. And allow God to be able to help you with the things that you need. But as the writer here says, you won't be able to afford all of the things that you need in life. There are some things that come without cost and you can't value them. They are priceless. And so the spiritual things are the high priority High ticket items in our lives and the priceless items in our lives that we cannot replace. So when you talk about how to run your life and how to manage your life, high priority is a spiritual. High priority is feeding yourself the word of God. High priority is taking note of important things when they are said, when they are preached, because you can't retrieve this time. Now, I know we all have, uh, you can go back and play the video, but most people don't. You know, just because you have that at your disposal, it doesn't mean you can sit here and sleep this one through. You know, you, you, it's good to pay attention the whole time and begin to master the things that God puts before us, uh, because we need to master things in life in order to please God. When Jesus said, take your, uh, take my yoke upon you and learn about me, we're still learning about him. As long as you, you're yoked up to the Lord, you're learning. See, we're all learning. I was telling somebody, I said, I learn more uh i've learned how to uh when i make mistakes or things don't turn out the way i thought they should i don't get frustrated and curse and and get upset about things i go within to find the answer see it's never a lost cause you can go within and find an answer even if the situation is past already you can still find wisdom. And wisdom is something that, that we really, really need. Sometimes your mistakes make room for you to grow. They make room for you to find answers. They make room for you to discover things that you would not have discovered had you not attempted at something and, and temporarily failed at it. Cause trust me, God will bring it right back around again for you to do 
and you to master it this time. And so knowledge is never wasted if you understand the author of it and that he's bringing these things to you. So it's good to stay focused on what God has for us, the meal that he has set for you. Partake of that meal. You don't want to eat leftovers all your life. Amen. So you don't want to live off the Internet and gleaning little things here and there. You want it live where you're right there. So, um, so the author is saying that he cannot prove conclusively from scripture the existence of private angels, but by a preponderance of evidence that he finds in scripture, he can make that conclusion. You got me? So he said, I won't give you exact chapter and verse that this is true, but there are enough scriptures that allude to it that you can make that conclusion, that you do have a uh, private angels who are assigned to your life. Uh, there's, he says, there is no one passage of clear, unequivocal teaching on the subject. However, there are a few references that, taken together, seem to suggest strongly the re- reality of guardian angels. There are enough to convince me of that fact. Let's look at them, and when we are finished, I think you'll have an entirely new perspective that will make you eternally grateful to God. So this is something that that when you think you're alone, or you think uh, you don't have any help, or you think help is so far away from you, that God is right there to help you. Many times angels uh, pave a way for us that keeps us from going astray. So, see, a lot of times we live in a place of, well, no emergencies come up. You know, don't ever take it for granted. There's a reason no emergencies come up in your life. And it it really means that you are heavily guarded by God. We're very, very precious to him. You need to understand that. And so we are heavily guarded by God. He says, I'm sure we often think of angels as being in general service to the entire body of Christ, Such a concept is not wrong. Men, angels do indeed minister to God's people as a whole, but they are also concerned with us as individuals. When we look at Psalm 91.11, we begin to see the personal nature of angelic ministry. Psalm 91.11 says, For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. All your ways, good ways and bad ways. Amen. Sometimes we think angels are only available to us if we do the right thing. Well, how many people can do the right thing all the time? You know, sometimes your right turns out to be very wrong. Amen. And you're wrong. What you think is wrong turns out to be right. And so when we understand that, we have to have a God who can overlook uh, qualifying, us qualifying for angelic help. I put it that way. Uh, you qualify for it just for the, uh, through the sake of, uh, through your covenant with God. That's how you qualify. So if you have a covenant with God, sometimes you don't have one that you're aware of. Sometimes you're heir to the covenant because of somebody else's salvation. You ever think about that? You might wonder, well, how did I get saved anyway? Because that was the only one in my family. Nobody, you know, knew God personally, you know, blah, this, blah, that. Well, you were probably an heir to salvation through the, because we have a covenant that goes from generation to generation, the seed and the seed seed. Sometimes God will show you these things if you, uh, if you will petition him to understand. Amen. 
I remember my mom, I, I, I thought, you know, uh, she didn't really know much about God because she had such a, a, a sad life in many ways. You know, my dad was a drinker and uh, we didn't have much and she was under a lot of stress off and on. She was depressed uh, many, many times. But but then I found out that she was born again. Amen. Because what she described to me, I knew as my experience with God. Now, either we was both crazy or we was both saved. I prefer to believe we was both saved. Amen. But she described a situation that occurred to her in her childhood. That they were, uh, and she and her sister had the same experience. And I would often wonder what she and her sister talked about all night. When her sister would come to visit us, you could forget talking to any of the, either of them. You know, we just let them talk. Cause you know, a lot of times if mama had was preoccupied, you can go do stuff without her telling you, stop it. You know what I'm saying? So that was our, our relief. But, and she didn't visit that often. And so when my later, many years later after I was saved, and I talked to my mother about it, and she explained to me, she 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 told me about the time when she was uh, born again. And she said, oh, I had such a good feeling, she said. And she asked me, she said, can God give me that feeling again? And I said, sure he can. I said, that's yours. I said, it's not just a feeling. I said, but, you know, we can pray, and I'll ask God. And she said, she said yeah, she said, because... That time you came in and prayed for me, you prayed for my foot. She said, I felt that. That was God. That was God's spirit. I said, absolutely. And so uh, we prayed, and, and, and so she was talking about that. And she always wanted, she said, I just felt clean, and I felt good. And I can tell by what she expressed. It was She was really born again. She said, and my sister got the same thing, she said. And we used to, she said, when, we, when she would come up here, we would talk about it. She said, because she was the only one I knew who understood that, you know, what had happened to us. You understand what I'm saying? So salvation is really, really precious. But it's things like that where you can find out how you got saved. We we were in a covenant of of a seed, you know. The Bible says choose life so that you and your seed can live. You're You're not here just for what you want. You're here for others. You're here for Pete, repeat, three Pete, four Pete, five Pete, and ten Pete that you got out there, you know, uh, that, that are your seed. And so, and seed that, that you produce spiritually speaking. So, so we can choose life for people who don't even know God. You know, you can claim those people as your seed. So you, you've got life in you that God wants us to, to share with others. So, so God wants us to have that experience. He wants us to know uh, that we we are part of a large family. You didn't just get here by act. You weren't accidentally saved. Your salvation was planned from the foundation of the earth. God laid the groundwork for it. He made sure it was a foolproof plan. And that you would get saved. Amen. That you would serve him as well. And so would never take for granted the, the plan of God to get you into the household of faith. Amen. So he says here <clears throat> in Psalm 91, he'll give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. Amen. And he says this is an individual angelic ministry to people. You are individually guarded by angels amen individually 
It's not like, you know, uh, you're in some kind of a daycare. <laughs> where it's like one person for every 10 or 12 kids and they don't have time for you. Uh, don't ever think God's got a shortage of anything where it pertains to his children. We are royal seed. We are royalty. Amen. Our, our father is the Lord of all. Amen. Jesus is Lord of all. He's the Lord of the universe, creator and maker of all things. So that makes him Lord and king. So you are our royal seed and you have to understand that. Uh, understand what God means by royalty though. Don't go get you a queen t-shirt and come in here looking crazy at me and expect me to start bowing to you or something. You know, people get some crazy ideas. You know, if they can wear a, a goofy T-shirt, they think that's going to impress somebody. Huh? You know, God will make it so people don't even read your stupid shirt. I'm telling you, people go and get these little, especially you get those, them expensive jerseys type things or your favorite team, and people just look at you and keep moving. You know, you find out you ain't impressing a soul. You done took that money and spent it and nobody's impressed with you who you think you are. And so we really, really have to, you know, in, 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 <clears throat> when you, when you look at it, human beings are less and less secure in their identity than they have ever been. So many people need a t-shirt. To give them some kind of an identity. You know, you'll see old rockers, you know, people my age, gray hair, bald head, trying to still have a little ponytail. And it's about like way down here. <laughs> Looks like a, a cue that Asians wear. Amen. And they got Grateful Dead up here. Like it has got holes in it. It's faded. And it's like the last T-shirt in a nursing home is what it is. It's, no, people need to get some sense about themselves and, and get some reset, respect, you know, some identity. Um, you know, it, it just, it, you're still holding on to something that you thought was important way back when. You know, at one time it might have been important to your little friends, but they all died of drug overdoses and you're about the only one left. You need to be a grateful living person and go find you a Jesus t-shirt. You understand what I'm saying? Let's get real here. We're all made in God's image. And we all have that identity. You know, when being a child of God isn't good enough for you anymore, go get back in your Bible from day one. Find some of them old scriptures you underline. Go find your first Bible. Do you know the one with the tabs in it on it because you didn't know where the books were and so forth? Go get that one. And start all over again and get your right identity. Amen. Because it's easy to lose it in this kind of a crazy world. Amen. So angels minister to God's people as a whole. But they also are concerned with you as individuals. Because they hold you up. Because they don't even want you to stumble over a stone when you walk. Huh? Now see when you're, when you're able bodied. And fairly young, you don't think about them things. But when you get older and less able-bodied, I said, well, God, I thank you. I got you to hold me up. I ain't going to do nothing risky and foolish. But I thank you. You will not let me fall. 
Amen. And sometimes that's my confession every day when I get up. Thank you, Lord, that you will not let me fall in Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord, my fallen days is over. Amen. Because you have angels to hold me up. Thank you, Jesus. He says, note that all those pronouns are singular. That is the first suggestion to me that each of us has a personal angel who watches over us. When we consider also that we who believe in Christ are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we can be sure that God is always very much aware of our needs and concerns and is able to minister to them. Another suggestion of personal angels comes to us in Genesis 48:16 where a dying Jacob was blessing his grandchildren Joseph's sons. In that blessing he referred to the angel which redeemed me from all evil. Was that a guardian angel who watched over Jacob throughout his lifetime? I like to think it was. You know, the key to me now I'm going to dispute this a little bit because he speaks of this angel as a redeemer. Now, it might be that ain't the angel was the pre-incarnate Christ. And, and sometimes he would show up and people would say, well, there's too much of him like the Lord not to have been Christ. But also it could mean what he's saying here, the angel who was re- assigned by my redeemer to help me out of all bad situations, out of evil situations. So you could take it both ways. Because there are some situations like Joshua, when he was approached by, he called him a man. And we know it was not a flesh and blood man because he said he was the captain of the host of the Lord. So the captain we know is Jesus. And so we believe he was pre-incarnate Christ. We believe he was there to help uh, the believers and help those uh, who are assigned to God to do the will of God. Amen. And so to keep us from failing, to keep us from falling, to keep us from falling into uh, a place uh, where we would feel defeat. And so if an angel shows up in your situation, it's to ensure your victory. He said he redeemed me from all evil. In other words, even though I got in bad situations, even though I got in fearful situations, even though I was frightened from time to time, God sent an angel who redeemed me from all of these negative situations in my life. And so it's a good thing to know that angels do have a function here. You know, the more we can learn about these things, the more confidence and the more assurance we can have about the things that God is doing for us and doing in us. And so when you understand the ministry of angels, when you understand what God is doing, when you understand these things, it gets easier and easier for you to be able to uh, just relax in life and let God have these things. Let God understand uh, uh, you and, and expect great things from God. You're not limited uh, based on, on um, anything. You know, you're not limited by God at all. Uh, God is fully in control. He's fully in authority in our lives uh, because he is Lord. You know, all you have to do is worship him and address him every day. Don't get up every day worried about stuff. 
you know, cast your cares upon him. The Bible says he cares for you. You can't have anybody greater caring for you to make sure that what what is happening in your life happens to the good and to his glory. So it's a wonderful thing to know that God is helping you. He says another suggestion of personal angels comes to us in Genesis 46. Okay, so we did that one, 48.16. So this was Jacob and the, the angel which redeemed me from all evil. Okay. And Jacob was, was, uh, uh, somebody who started off being a thief himself. And so of course he's going to give glory to God when he realizes there was a change made in his life. He says, I used to be a thief. I used to play tricks on people. I used to steal from my brother. I, I, I uh, uh, deceived my fra- father to steal the birthright and the blessing from my brother. But there was an angel who redeemed me from all evil. So he redeemed me from myself. Amen. That's a deep thing. When you can get help for your own uh, uh, mis- misgivings and, and trouble and, and mistakes and and getting running off half cocked and wanting to get everything you know get it messed up before the day is over, yeah, we can mess up more stuff by the end of the day <laughs> than most people can, uh, you know, in five or six years. Sometimes you have some of them days. It's like the the doctor's suing you. The lawyer wants his money. You know, there's nothing in the bank account. Sometimes it's like that. And so we have to really, really understand uh, God's redemption and how he wants to help us in these things. So Brother Summerall says, let me give you just one example of a time when God may have used my guardian angel to rescue me. And this was a, a, a story he's told. I've, I've heard him tell it before about his ministry in Tibet. Now he, Lester Summerall began his ministry. I don't know if you're aware of it, but, uh, he, uh, he wasn't saved. His mother was a, a, a very, very committed Christian. Um, you know, it, it pays to commit yourself as deeply as you can to God. You understand? And I'll tell you why. God pays in kind. In other words, the, to the depth that you commit to Him, that's the depth that He'll commit to you. And Brother Summerall, when he was a young boy, he saw his, his father wasn't saved. He saw his father act out. Uh, complain, uh, all of those things at what his mother did and what his mother, and she was a, a pretty strong Christian woman and, and they, they would only mess with her up into a point because she would always invite ministers either to stay in their home. If they had traveling ministers that came to minister to her church, they would stay in their home and also she would uh, feed them. And so Brother Summerall developed a resentment for preachers because he saw these preachers get, and then the daddy didn't help, the heathen father didn't help any, where he would complain about everything. You know, you can, you can, mess up a blessing that's coming to you with a bad attitude about it. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, if you're going, if you're going to give, give freely, give, give for your whole heart, um, so that you don't take back, take a bite out of your blessing. You understand? Cause the attitude is the bite you take out of it. And, and God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, faith works by love. You can't bypass that attitude thing. 
you know, with God. And so that was a lot of Lester's problem. And I believe through that kind of activity, uh, wickedness was sown in his heart toward in, in a resent, resentment toward God. So much so that he was very, very sick as a young teenage boy. And God showed him one night, and his mother prayed for him, prayed for him, and the sickness stayed. And he said, God visited him, showed him one night a coffin or a Bible. He said, tonight you must choose. You either choose the coffin and go and go, you know, and die right now, or you can live and work for me. That was what you. And so he chose the Bible. He got up the next morning and left home, took his Bible and went. And so God used people like that. Now, nowadays, people say, well, you know, God doesn't. He doesn't. He still can do it. But see, we in in this country, we have the benefit of education. You can get somebody to train you. Your best thing, if you know you're called to the ministry, ask God who's going to teach you. That should be question number one. Don't ever bypass the learning aspect of what God has for you. Now, Lester Summerall went out, and because he, what he did, he didn't function on the level of a minister when he started. He functioned on a believer's level. Why? Because he won souls by giving his testimony. You don't have to be a minister to do that. You don't have to be called to the ministry to do that. There are many people who are are living off their testimony that are doing great things in God. You know, now we'll, I know, I know some of them are legitimately called, but if you look at how their ministry functions, almost anybody can do what they're doing if you get out there and do it and God is with you. You understand me? So anybody can share their testimony and win souls to Christ. And that's what he did. He went out and told what he knew about God. God honored it and he was able to win souls. Eventually he began to pray. And began to read the Bible more and begin to understand. So he was Holy Ghost taught. But at some point, he asked for a real teacher to teach him the scriptures because he wasn't knowledgeable enough and expert enough in the word of God to feel comfortable. So it was time for him to get some formal teaching. You know, don't ever brag on the fact that if you're a minister that God bypassed ministry school for you. Or you don't, oh, I didn't have to do that or, you know, something. Don't ever brag on your ignorance because if you haven't mastered it, you still aren't able to do it. You're still ignorant in that area. Always seek. You can never know too much about God. Always seek to know more in God. And so, brother, God made it easy for him. He connected him with a man who who was uh, a headmaster of several Bible colleges. He was at the time the most knowledgeable teacher of the word in the world and so brother summerall was able to work with him for many many years but he was one of those people who got a little bit more of god a little bit more of god was able to master his ministry that way and he has always had a very productive ministry he's always had a very um uh i would say intelligent and thoughtful ministry uh, he knows how to outline uh, uh, topics and so forth. He sold many, many books. But that's how he started out, which is raw obedience to God with, with a, an ultimatum. You either preach or you die. And so, you know, these kind of things motivate people. 
You know what I'm saying? But he didn't, he didn't have resentment in him because he little by little yielded himself to more of the knowledge of God. And that's really all God is looking for from people. And so, uh, brother Summerall was one of those people. He would get up and go and he spent many, many, many years in Asia. Um, that includes the Asian islands, the Philippines. He was on mainland China and Tibet. He worked all of those areas for God. He just got up and went where God told him to do. So this is a part of his time in Tibet. He said he was traveling with a group near the border. He said, somehow I became lost. I mean, absolutely lost. You know the feeling. He said, I had been separated from my traveling companions from about 8 in the morning till 4.30 that afternoon. So that's lost. There I was in a little Chinese village all by myself without knowing one word of the language. He said, I was sad and tired, almost in tears. He said, then I noticed a young man come riding uh, through the gates of the village on a majestic horse. He rode right up to where I was, dismounted, and began to talk to me in perfect English. He said, where'd you come from? How is it that you speak English so beautifully? He smiled and said to me, I know the party you're looking for. Now, oftentimes you will find angels not answer conversational silly questions. They are on assignment to get you out of trouble. Do you remember when prophets, prophets sometimes would send a younger prophet when, you know, in the school of the prophets. Prophets always have somebody who's connected with them, who's learning. You know what I'm saying? That, that kind of aspect of things. And so uh, he would, he would, uh, uh, he sent the young prophet and he told him, don't stop and talk to anybody. Don't do this. Don't do. Well, that angels get similar instructions like that. They're not there on their own. That is, that is typical of servants. Servants are on assignment to serve. And so, and I think prophets have to live discipline like that so that they can stick to the program and not get carried away in a lot of insignificant things and, and be so easily distracted away from what God has called them to do. They have to live like that. Amen. And so when we understand that, we'll understand sometimes they're they're seeming to people think they're rude. They think, you know, everybody thinks everything is about them. When you show up somewhere, if if I don't speak to you, it's not I'm not being rude. I'm here to do a meeting. You got me. And Come on now. See, it's not about you all the time. See, people, you show your lack of maturity by thinking everything's about you. And see, some people come to church, and let me just say this about these people that claim they don't come to church because people uh, treated them bad. How do you treat people? See, many of them don't stay around long enough to know what's expected out of them as Christians before they're looking at everybody. See, it's not about you all the time. Then you'll see them trying to have a ministry and try, and they haven't even learned how to be comfortable around God's people. You don't like the people you're trying to serve. How are you going to wash somebody's feet and feed them and stuff and you don't even care about them? See, your first introduction to the body of Christ may be toughing it out and to see if you'll stay even if you don't get what you want. 
after three, four, and five years of being in the congregation. You may never get what you want, but if you'll pay attention and ask God why you came there, you'll get a lot. You're there to learn. You're there to serve once you learn something. You understand what I'm saying? It's not about you. It's about God. You're supposed to come in there and humble yourself and sit. You know, I, I started out in ministry and I was the only black person there. Now I could have got paranoid. Hey, racist. I was racist too. See, why are you worried about everybody else? Worry about yourself. Huh? You need to worry, why am I here? Huh? I was there to get the power to the people and the black power stuff off of me. You understand what I'm saying? Humble yourself. Huh? God stripped me of that meeting one. Come on, y'all. Let's get real here. We all need to be worked on. And sometimes your first experience is to see if you will let him work on you. Some people, their complaint is the church, they don't like me, and they've been complaining like that for 30 years. They never get over themselves. What kind of servant can you be if you can't? you got to have everything your way. That's not even a servant. Huh? You know, sometimes people come in, they want prayer every time you, and, and I said, now we just prayed about this the last, I said, well they just like attention. You understand what I'm saying? And you pray for them and hopefully they get over it. You know what I'm saying and understand. You know what, I'm gonna settle down here. I'm going to learn. I don't have to run up to the altar and make sure somebody hears my complaint. Every time I come in here. Huh? It's just true. Jesus is looking for a mature bride. You can't marry nobody that's underage. Seriously, you know. Think you're a bride and you're always begging somebody for money. You His bride don't beg. Huh? You do the will of the Father and expect good to come into your life. You don't have to be always pounding somebody's PayPal stuff and all that. You know, hidden donate and all that. You don't have to keep doing that. Seriously. His bride ain't raggedy. She ain't begging. I wouldn't have embarrassed my husband. You understand what I'm saying? To to expect somebody else to do something for me after I was married to him. Now he'll tell you I leaned in him a lot. <laughs> Some of my best wrestling holes were over important things. Like the paper and the plastic. Huh? Huh? Call yourself a man. Meet this. Boom, boom, boom. Thank you. Huh? No, that's what you do. You lean in that. But I'm not asking no other, nobody else for nothing. And I'm married to you. 
think so. What do you mean you don't have it? Okay, you're on your way out to get it. That's what I thought. Isn't that what God says? If I don't have it, I'll make it for you. Get to stepping, brother. What'd you sit up here looking at me for? <laughs> I ain't got it either. I'm going to stop. How's the casserole coming, Miss Ingrid? Wonderful. Yes. <laughs> stop me, somebody. I'm about to get dangerous. Oh. So this young man rescued Brother Summerall, told him what he needed to know. He didn't need to know how he spoke such perfect English. Huh? Because the answer might have messed his head up forever. You know, angels keep it, you know, keep it short. He says, he smiled and said to me, I know the party you're looking for. I met them on the road. If you go out this gate, go for about two hours, you'll find them ahead. You know, God makes a way. All he had to do was go out the gate and go straight ahead. It wasn't turned down this way. When you get to this, you could do this. He makes the way plain. He makes the way straight. He says, I took his advice. I got on my mule, headed out the gate. And sure enough, before long, I found the group I've been traveling with. I inquired of them about the young man. They told me they'd never seen him. They didn't know anything about him. He said, could he have been my guardian angel? He says, I believe he was. So that's good enough for me. So <clears throat> the angels, angels, he says, are very close to us. Amen. And that's good to know when you feel lonely and nobody understands you. You got an angel. Amen. You're not to talk to angels, but you are definitely to be reassured by their presence. Says the angel of the Lord encamps around. They set up permanent dwelling around us. So that should give you reassurance to think that you might have to wait for their help because there's someplace else. You got me? You don't have to wait for them to know you have a need. You don't have to wait for them to come and help you. They encamp around them that fear him and deliver them. Okay, so your angel puts up his tent around you. If you fear God, you have an angel by your side to give protection. You don't ever have to be afraid of, you don't even have to be scared of yourself. You understand what I'm saying? Some of us scared of us. huh? Scared to get too far over here, get too far over there, do this or do that. You understand what I'm saying? Sometimes you can live a very rigid and restricted life just out of habit. Now, I'm not saying go do nothing dangerous or, or sin or anything like that. But I'm talking about the things that faith might require us to do. Sometimes you got to step out of your comfort zone and step into faith. And, and, and so if, if you make a, a, a wrong move faith-wise... Your angel will come to reassure you and hold you up and help you to get to the next place in faith. Amen. So and and learn how to expect more out of yourself in God. You're much more capable sometimes than you think you are. We just have to step out. So as angels put your tent around you, if you fear God, you have an angel by your side to give protection. 
You have to be afraid of leaving him behind, amen, when you go somewhere. Because he travels with you. He encamps around us. Children have angels as well, amen. In Matthew 18.10, he talks about it here. And Jesus said, take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. Everybody should be kind to children. Be understanding and bless them and help them make their way easy. He says, for I say to you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my father who is in heaven. Now, if an angel is encamping around you and he's in heaven too, man, it just means that they can be here and be present there have all the all the attributes of hearing. They have to have constant communion with God as well as being encamped around us. Amen? Don't we have constant communion with God? Yes, we do. And so they have the same thing. He says, <clears throat> there's perhaps the strongest biblical suggestion that each child, and by reference, inference each person, has a guardian angel all his own. Sometimes little kids do need angelic help more is what he says. But have you seen some adults around here, y'all? I mean, hey, we all need help. (laughs) So, but, but, you know, children don't have the judgment sometimes and experience and things that adults do. So they make mistakes. They might get curious about the pond that's frozen over and how, you know, how much is, can you really step on it? All those kinds of things. Um, yep. I was, I worked in a hospital. I think it was Euclid general. I worked over there and there was a, a little child that was brought in. Uh, he had slipped away from his mother that m- morning and drowned and his boots were on the wrong feet. You know, when you looked in the gurney and saw a kid there, you could see he just slipped his own boots on. They didn't even know how to put his boots on. You understand what I'm saying? And so it's heart-wrenching sometimes to see what happens when, when to little ones when they don't have. So always pray for your children. Always expect them to come home. Let God have them. That's the best thing you can do is let him have them for good and understand that he cares for them much more and, and much better than we can. So he says also that, that we're not to offend little children. Who shall offend one of these or harm them in some way? Which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck than that he were drowned, and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. So there is harsh judgment against people who harm children. Amen. Very harsh judgment. The concept of having a private angel might make you wonder where there are enough angels to go around. Daniel gives an innumerable number and so does Hebrews 12.22. It says, uh, uh, Hebrews 12.22 says that we are called to an innumerable company of angels, a number no man can number. So, and we talk about all the billions of people on the earth and that God has a personal angel assigned to them. It's kind of mind-blowing, but that is true. We all have that personal angel. Amen. So, <clears throat> they were uh angels uh never get too old to serve. They are eternal beings. So when you're old, your angel is very well able to care for you. You don't get a feeble angel, you know. <laughs> this angel roll out, you know. No, 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 and no. 
So, amen. Uh, it's it's funny. I tell you, I, I and and you know they can take on different forms. You know, as far as their appearance is concerned. And uh, I I remember when I was moving, I probably told this story before, but you know I'd panic over a little anything, and and of course. My dear husband had left me in charge, which is automatic demotion. Amen. He'd say, don't do this. And then he would call Gigi and tell her to watch me. I'm saying, no, wait a minute. What's, what's, what? Don't let her do this. <laughs> and I'd do it anyway, right? Remember, I backed this car out of the, uh, the garage. We had an old garage over on East Boulevard. And so he, I was supposed to be going somewhere in the car, and that thing was tight. You know, if you don't drive in there all the time, my car was outside, but he had a garage. We had a big Lincoln, and I heard some girl. I just kept backing out and went went to the dealership. They fixed it up, didn't they, honey? They, they prettied it up so fast. See, it's good to have friends. <laughs> it's good to have friends in the right places thinking about that car okay it broke all right let's go get it fixed that's the way i look at stuff <laughs> you know people get mad for four and five days over something i got it fixed already what you upset about so i had to figure out how many days can i let him have this because he was due to come home you know you never break it on day one it's always a day they about to come home and So, you know, you go in the dealership. <laughs> Who can help me? Hmm? So, you know, you always have salesman friends out there. You don't go to the repair people. You go to the guy who sold it to you. <laughs> you know how it is. I'm doing the best I can. I just I was backing out with all this laundry and stuff. I always had stuff. So come on, girl, I get this straightened out for you. He goes to the head of the line in the body shop, and they say, we can buff this out for you. That's what I'm talking about. Let's go, God. Let's do this thing. Let's do this thing. So, you know, you get bailed out a couple times. Amen. That's always good. Good stuff. Good stuff. Amen. So, (laughs) praise God. Now, for those of you who think you're being dishonest if you don't tell your husband you wrecked his car, you ain't never been really married. I mean, really married. Y'all in these fake marriages. I'm talking about something real. Well, that brother loved that car more than life. Huh? (laughs) Yeah. See, me and cars have a lot of secrets. Just telling you a few of them. All right. So anyway. Okay. So um, anyway, what was I saying? Angels forever. Amen. Angels are not short-term missionaries in God's eternal program. They are with us all the time. The time will never come when he will turn to them and say, sorry, I have no further use for you. Angels will and most certainly continue to to continue their work of praising God and worshiping him around the throne throughout eternity. Amen. That's an eternally good thing. That's something you want to do 
an angel wants to do throughout eternity. They want to worship and praise God all the time. Amen. And and minister to do whatever God tells them to do. He, the writer asks if we are looking forward to seeing angels in heaven. He says we are. Meeting angels in heaven will, I believe, be one of our greatest sources of joy up there. He said, I think we will know angels just as we presently know people. Amen. So uh, he also believes there will be no strangers in heaven. Uh, some people who have visited heaven uh, said that some of the patriarchs, they met some of the patriarchs. They met um, uh, people like Enoch and, and all of that. And, and you know, and, and so it's just good to know that they are real people. Uh, and God is, has used us to to um, learn from them. He's given them to us that we can learn from them. He's talking about Adam and the experience he had with the cherub that kept uh, the uh, tree of life out of his possession so that he would not have lived forever in a condemned state. So there are many, many things that we can learn about angels. But the main thing we need to know is how they uh, um, minister to us and that we do have personal angels. And he says, the angels were with God during creation on page 122, uh, down at the bottom where it says clarifying the word. He says, something God said about angels has always fascinated me. God asked Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if you have understanding when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So it looks like angels enjoy seeing God create things. They rejoice at the creation of man. They rejoice at the creation of the earth because it was going to be for man. And so they, the sons of God sang in their terms to describe angels. So we know angels were present at the creation of the physical universe. How did they feel about observing that tremendous act of our God? I'd like to ask them, wouldn't you? Says then there are eight little words Paul wrote almost as an aside when he was considering the matter of the Corinthian Christians going to court before secular judges against one another. Paul wrote, don't you know that we shall judge angels? Amen. And that's where many people get the standard that Christians should not go to court and sue one another. Now, I'm not saying you can never do it, but pray about it and see if there is not another recourse. Now, we know who the real thief is, don't we? Amen. I think I think if if people are are doing things that, you know, are just wrong before the law, law, they need to be turned in because we're law abiding. But I'm talking about things like, you know, personal injury suits and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, uh, not personal injury, but, you know, lawsuits where you have a dispute about uh, a debt owed or something like that. You know, pray about those things. Don't just automatically assume that it's okay with God to do that because God has so many ways of, of um, uh, restoring us and so many ways of settling disputes. And then we operate on a higher level of judgment because we will judge angels. And so sometimes these little personal lawsuits can backfire on you. 
where you wind up spending a lot of money on lawyers and then you wind up losing the case. And so God, always go to God with these things and see where he would have you stand. But uh, we will judge angels. I know we will judge fallen angels because they are already condemned. Amen. And so it's kind of interesting the life that we have ahead of us uh, supernaturally in God. Amen. Praise God. Amen. So are these the tests here? Uh, Shannon, thank you very much. All right. So, Miss Chanel, you want to help me with these and see if your girl Chuck.